0: Merry Christmas. How are you all doing this morning? Pretty good. good. Blessed and highly. High now you're just bragging. <laughs> hey, uh, good to see each of you here. Welcome. If you're uh, viewing online, we probably have a little bit of a higher online viewership this morning, um, so I'll acknowledge you this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I usually just forget. But uh, if you're new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Come up and say hi to me. Meet me after service. I'd love to meet you. Um, hey, let us uh, let's just let me just pray, and, uh, and then we'll just kind of get right into this today. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for revival. Thank you for Christmas, uh, for coming, and uh, even as Rachel said, for humbling yourself and becoming obedient unto death. You, you became a baby. Like the, lo- like the picture of humility. Father, thank you for doing it because we're here because of it. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Who's ever been in a fist fight? Yep. A few of you. So I, here's what I love. I love when I ask that question and more women raise their hand than men, but it didn't happen here this morning. No, I have to, not recently, thank the Lord. I told my brother we got into kind of a heated thing. Not the two of us, but the two of us and somebody else were kind of in this little heated situation not too long ago. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, I'm too old for this. <laughs> and I'm not even that old, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this. But, uh, yeah, so in a fist fight, the quickest way for it to end is to hit harder. <laughs> so, um, and I'm, I'm telling you that uh, when you get hit hard, if you want it to stop, hit harder back. Uh, so this is not condoning uh, fighting people necessarily, but, uh, but to really come off and then of what Gl- Pastor Glenn talked about last week and go into what I believe the Lord has for us today. So um, actually what we're preaching on today is actually my wife's, uh, she gave me a word a few days ago and said, hey, I think you're supposed to preach on, on the religious spirit. And you know what I said? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because oftentimes the voice of the Lord sounds a lot like my wife's voice. So, um, anyways, last week, Pastor Glenn talked about anchors of revival um, and uh, what those four anchors were, family, the word, evangelism, and gazing on the beauty of God. We also talked about this concept or this principle of counterpunching, okay? And so, he took us through... Uh, this passage in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, where, it's, where the, the disciples, they advance, they're, they're preaching the gospel, and then something happens where the devil counterpunches and punches back. And so they go ahead and they do signs and wonder, and then the devil punches back, and then they go out and tell more people about Jesus. And the, so you see, like, the, it's, this, it's this war, this counterpunch. And River in the Hills, we got counterpunch this week, yeah? Look around. If, you, if you're new, we got counterpunch this week. And, uh, and it, you know what it does? You know what it makes me want to do? Harder. Hit back harder. Punch back is right, but punch back harder. And I'm telling you what, I get psyched, you know, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, but I, I, I think that is the answer. The answer isn't, well, let's, let's kind of regroup. And I just want to encourage you guys to make it through this hard time. No. No. We've had enough of that. You're, consider yourself encouraged. Come on, I get me. Oh, I love that. Yes. You have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's encouragement enough. Get your fists out and start fighting in the spirit for now. All right. Today, what I want to talk about, I want to give us some tools today um, Remember the context is the context is I, I want to talk about our counterpunch, or our way that we that we fight back when the kingdom of darkness takes a swing against the church. What you know, we fight back. That's what Pastor Glenn talked about last week. But I want to talk about um, what could hinder us from being able to counterpunch. What could hinder us from being able to fight back? What's going to keep us just like ugh, when we get hit, and it's going to keep you down. And so we don't need, we have enough stuff against us as being the church, if you didn't know that. There is enough against you uh, because you're a a follower of Jesus. The Bible says that, uh, that people will, will hate you and condemn you and curse you and that's just because they're cursing Jesus and hating him and condemning him, so it shouldn't be a surprise necessarily, um, but we don't, need to, we don't need to shoot ourselves in the foot if there's enough other people shooting our feet, okay? So um, the encouragement here today as we talk about something that's uh, called the religious spirit, and uh, the title of today's message is Conquering the Religious Spirit, you, you probably... Well, have heard me talk about this before. If you've been in the adult Sunday school class, I taught a long series on this a few years ago um, over the course of several months. And so we're not going to go into that uh, in depth today. Um, but I do want to touch on, uh, on a couple things that I believe will really give us the tools that we need uh, to fight back with confidence and, and in love and, um, and with effectiveness. Okay? Okay, Nate. Good idea. I'm excited. Thank you. I'm encouraged. I just rolled my sleeves up. Okay, here we go. The imagery is endless. All right. So, what is a religious spirit? Um, if and uh, and you've probably heard this uh, talked about a lot, but I like to define what I mean when I'm saying things. So, um, but specifically, what I mean when I say a religious spirit is I mean a demon. Okay. I mean a a, de- a demon who's on some sort of assignment. And the assignment of a religious spirit is is to counterfeit the true work of the Holy Spirit using religion. Wow. Okay? So, so yeah, the assignment is to use religion to counterfeit the true work of a, of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So one can have a religious mindset uh, or a religious disposition without necessarily entertaining or being being influenced by a demon of religion okay i can have a religious mindset the problem with a religious mindset or a religious disposition is that it will leave your life open to influence by a religious spirit and will then most likely lead to that to being influenced by a demon of religion okay so a lot of this is this is the shocking Shocking thing for many people, especially in the church, because when you talk about a spirit of religion, the only people that have a spirit of religion are people in church, right? <laughs> so, so, like, unsaved people don't have spirits of religion. It's redundant and pointless. Um, and so the devil doesn't waste his time there. A religious spirit, remember, the devil is a liar, so he's, he's here to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? And we serve the God of truth, okay? So what better way to... to unroot faith and to confuse people in the church than to masquerade as the true Holy Spirit, right? That's what you have to do. It's the only way that the devil's able to sneak into believers' lives. He doesn't come with a pitchfork and horns. He comes with a Bible and he comes with and he comes with uh, with church clothes, right? And he comes with with a smile and he comes that's how he comes. Okay. So uh, but he's a liar. So um, it's a large topic, like I said, and we're only going to get into a little bit of it today. But uh, when a religious spirit is at work, and I'm going to tell you at the end of this message how to identify and get, or how to get rid of that influence in your life. So if you hear something today and you're like, oh, I do that, it's okay. it, not, you don't have to like retreat to this like, I'm demonized, I'm, you know, and all this, just that you have so much authority over these demons, they don't want you to know it, Amen. okay? It's just, it's, it's comical, how, how they, they're like shadows on the wall, right? Like, you, you, like the little demon like this can cast, if the light's here, can cast a big old shadow, but then when you actually look at the, you're like, oh, big God, little devil, right? Okay. So I'm just going to, I'm going to discuss today two of what I call the fruit of the religious spirit, Okay. Uh, fruit meaning evidence, okay? You guys know the fruits of the Spirit in Scripture found in Galatians, right? So those the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness, kindness, compassion, all, self-control, those aren't a list of things that we need to make sure that we do every day so the Holy Spirit's around us. Those are evidences that follow him where he goes. So if we let him flow and work freely through our life, they will be evidences that are seen in our life. They're not bad things to strive for. It's not bad to get up and go like, I'm, I need to be kind today. I need to exercise self-control. Those aren't bad things, but where Holy Spirit is, so are the manifestations of who he is, okay? Same with the religious spirit. Where he goes, so are these manifestations or fruits of where he goes. I've broken down several of these over the last few years. I'm only gonna talk about two of them this morning. The first one I wanna talk about I call lack of mercy, okay? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna read you the story of the Good Samaritan, I do not have a flannel graph to go along with this because I know that's how many of you learned about the Good Samaritan, but if you could just imagine them in their little shirts and robes with their ties and their sandals, and we'll be good. Don't imagine me like that. Imagine these people in the story, okay? Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 23, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw it, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and went and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, you probably heard this before, this story. If you haven't, I'm glad I was the first person to tell it to you. Um, I hope you'll remember it forever. A lot of the times when this story or this parable is taught through, the focus is on, is on compassion and, and mercy and, and helping, helping your neighbor. And, that's, and it's good because all of those lessons are in there, and it's very good. But Jesus, the, the, uh, I believe with conviction that the reason that Jesus shared this specific parable was because he was addressing a religious spirit. And the emphasis isn't so much um, the fact that the Samaritans stopped, but the emphasis is on the two people who didn't stop and who they were, okay? So this man's a Jewish man. He's traveling from, most likely, a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's traveling on this road, and he was robbed and stripped, and everything with this un- probably was not an uncommon occurrence, Okay and um, left for dead. So the first person that happens upon him is a priest. Now, if you were stripped, beaten, robbed, and left for dead, wouldn't you be so happy to see Pastor Glenn walking down the road to the same place? He just happens to be passing by. You'd be thinking what? Thank God someone's here. I'm going to be, and it's my pastor, a man of God, like not somebody else who's just going to leave me for dead again or take anything that these guys forgot. Thank God, this man of God is coming. So the first person that comes is a priest, a man of God. And what does he do? Passes by on the other side. He doesn't want anything to do with it. More than likely, though, because you have to look at the context of why, what Jesus was answering in the heart of this teacher of the law. The point was that This priest was more than likely on his way to do a priestly duty. Okay? So the the emphasis isn't so much that he he went, Ugh, I'm not gonna stop for that. It was probably more like, sorry, I don't have time. Right? I gotta, I gotta, I wish I could, but I mean I gotta get to church. Okay. Temple. All right. So the second person that comes by is a Levite. And why is that important? aren't levites and priests the same thing not necessarily yes all priests were levites but not all levites were priests so this levite but again we would we would probably call him like the like the like a gatekeeper okay that's what they were doing is taking care of some of those things that maybe our gatekeepers in the prayer room would take care of some of the physical things of the the church things to keep things running but nonetheless a man of god a man from the church So the priest went by, but now a Levite's coming, recognizable as a Levite. And so if you're the guy that just got beat, you're like, thank God, another man of God has come, and he just keeps walking by. The emphasis, the point, the context speaks that he too is on his way to do something for the Lord, okay? Couldn't stop for this guy on the road. The third person that comes by is the only person on earth that this Jewish man did not want to see. It's like... The last person he wants to see is a Samaritan. Not only did they have racial tension, but they also had political and religious tension, okay? And I'm not talking about, I'm, I, tension's a stupid word. Hatred, yeah. disdain, yeah. right? They didn't associate with each other. They didn't even have to talk about it. Everyone just knew you don't associate Jews and Samaritans, they don't mix. Okay, but this Samaritan sees this Jewish man lying naked and beaten, dying on the road. Been there for a while because two people have already walked past him and are out of the picture, and he instantly takes pity on him. This person who had no business helping a Jewish man, probably the only person in that whole culture that would have been expected to walk by him, stopped, put him on his own donkey, bandaged his wounds, poured oil on his skin, wine on his cuts, and took him to an inn and out of his own pocket, paid for him to stay there and get well and then circled back around and said I'll come back and pay for whatever difference there is just let me, I'm you know here's the down payment this should cover it if it doesn't I'll be back in so many days and I'll take care of it and it's done Jesus says which one of these was did the neighborly thing it was the samaritan okay We cannot be so quick to pass judgment on the priest and the Levi. How could they walk by one of their own kinsmen who was dying on the road? I believe that Jesus is making a point that these two men, religious men, were influenced by a religious spirit that manifested in that moment as a lack of mercy. Here's what a lack of mercy does. Say you're driving to church. You're a little bit late. I know that's never happened to any of you because the kids never did anything on the way out the door that you didn't need them to do. Your car always starts. You always have gas. Your alarm always went off. And all of these things happen, I know, because you're Christians. But you're late for church. You're cruising down 620 or up 620, wherever you live, and you see this Family's cold like this morning, it's 35 degrees outside. You see this car on the side of the road, uh, flat tire, and everybody's out of the car on the side, and there's a mom with three young kids, and the dad's out trying to change it, but he doesn't look it looks like his spare is flat, which also has never happened to anyone in this room. Uh, and they're having you just come up on it and it looks like a messy, just just lame scene, but and you're kind of like, uh, eh. and you see it and you're like man, I wish, I wish I wasn't late for church, <laughs> you drive right by. How many times have we, on the way to church, uh, passed by a homeless person that's asking for a ride on a cold morning? I'm not saying go out and pick up every hitchhiker that you see, but I am saying, what if the Lord put him there so that you would give him a ride to church? But we're like, I can't do that. I'm on my way to church. He's not even dressed for church. He probably smells. What are people going to think of me? What if he makes my car smell? He has a dog. I don't let dogs in my car. See, we always justify what we do as right. And the the religious spirit always justifies what he influences as God's way because he's masquerading as the Holy Spirit. We'd say, Lord, and we'll even go as far as to say a prayer for them. Oh, Lord, bless that family as we drive by them. And where's the mercy? Man, the, we're probably some of the only people out on the road on Sunday morning early, right? Yeah. We're, we're the people. That's being the church. So before we pass judgment on these two men, we have to put it in perspective. And I can tell you firsthand that I have done this. I have blown by people that needed my help because I was on the way to church and I had responsibilities at church that I needed to be there for. And I have blown by them knowing that I was actually supposed to stop. But I was like, Lord, I got to get, get to, you know, people are waiting for me. People are counting on me. I told them I'd be there at this time and I honor my time. It's not bad. It's not good to be late, Lord. You've given me that conviction. It's not good to be late. To be, to be on time is to be late. To be early is to be on time. And I'm like telling the Lord and the Lord, as if he's entertaining anything I'm saying. It's like, are you done? I had so much conviction one time that I had been at church at about, this is in California. I had gotten to church. I'd passed a, fam, a, a guy that was walking on the road. He was asking for a ride, and I passed him. And I would sometimes pick people up and bring them to church, but this, I was like, I'm late, I got, or, you know, I wasn't late, but, you know, I didn't have time to stop. That was the reason I gave. I got to church, and I was there, like, 15 minutes. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't listen. People were talking to me. I was like, couldn't hear them. I was, like, I forgetting what I was there to do. I couldn't focus on anything. I got back in my truck and went back, and, and, and I, was, I was just like, ugh, like, I, I can't, because I, why wouldn't I? But so so often... There is a lack of mercy. So often there's a religious spirit that manifests itself as a lack of mercy where in being the church, we actually will overshoot thinking that we're doing something that's better, higher, of a greater calling, uh, of more importance than the very things that the Lord has just basically called us to. And that's, I believe, why he goes into this parable. That is an evidence. If you've seen this evidence in your life, Pay attention to the end of the message. I'll tell you how to get rid of it. All right. The next one I want to talk to you about, something the Bible refers to as the traditions of the elders. The fruit of the Spirit is more probably appropriate, appropriately described as emphasis on the traditions of the elders. There's nothing wrong with a tradition. Okay, I have a tradition that we get a, a Christmas tree uh, every, the day after Thanksgiving. Well, we weren't here the day after Thanksgiving so it wasn't like it ruined Christmas. We just bumped it back a few days, and it was fine. It was the first year since we've been married that we haven't done it that way, but it was fine. It's like, it, it, you know, traditions are good, but if you're like, if you're like hey, we always get a tree after, uh, the day after Thanksgiving— and somebody's like hey i was wondering if you could come share the gospel with my sister and come help me and you're like no we get a tree and and you're uh, we have plans and you're like well can we she needs to hear jesus so i feel like she's ready to give her life to the lord and i need some help and you're like sorry we have already set a time This time aside in our schedule to go bring a dead pagan symbol into our house and set it up and adorn it with lights. And no, I'm just kidding. I have a Christmas tree, so you know. But uh, but so I mean, but look at look at what the argument there is: life and death, and death. The tree's already dead. You you can't save a Christmas tree that's been cut down. So although we try every year, we pour water in it, right? We're like, it's going to make it to January. It doesn't. No. The tradition of the elders. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. It tells another story where the Pharisees manifested this fruit called uh, the emphasis or the tradition of the elders. I'm going to read you the story here. It's starting in verse 1 of Mark chapter 7. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. He probably didn't have masks on either. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating with their food, their food defiled with defiled hands. Excuse me. And he replied, <laughs> Well, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Verse 9. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Do you hear that? Jesus was sarcastic. Uh, yeah, he was. He is. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, or that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Jesus says, this isn't the only area that you fail. This isn't the only place that this fruit of the religious spirit has shown up. It's the harsh words, okay? So another another fruit of the religious spirit we're not going to cover today is fault finding. This is what they were trying to do by asking this question to Jesus. They were looking for fault in Jesus. That's why they asked the question. Jesus knows that. Um, but in this question, they also expose another fruit of the religious spirit that they were being, that, or that another fruit that evidenced that the religious spirit was at work with them, where they were putting more emphasis on the tradition of the elders than they were on the very word of God. The very word of God that they were protecting and standing up for, they had actually de-escalated, they've elevated tradition over it. And Jesus pointed that out. I'm going to share a story here. See, the religious spirit—it's—it's it's never rational. It's not. It's if—if if you take take the religious spirit out of this situation with the Pharisees and Jesus, there is no way that these educated and well-respected men, educated and well-respected men, would argue with Jesus about disciples washing their hands. It's embarrassing. It's petty. It's pathetic. And it's humiliating. But they were passionate. So passionate that it made it into the Bible. Right? This is like, this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. How could they ever elevate a tradition over the word of God? Not so fast, church. Let me tell you a story. Um, when Kaylee and I were dating, she... Uh, I lived in Central, like Central California, and she lived in Southern California about three and a half hours south of me um, for about a year. And um, we didn't date that whole time she lived there. She lived there for about a year and in a place called Moore Park. She went to church in Simi Valley, which is right next door. Pamela, you know where all these places are. So, uh, but she went to Cornerstone Church, which was Francis Chan's church. This was before he was Francis Chan, <laughs> right? This was before he wrote Crazy Love. So um, people knew who he was, but he wasn't traveling and he wasn't riding yet. So um, it was a great church. Loved visiting there. When I would go visit her, I uh, drove down there a lot. I put We dated for, I don't remember, I think we dated for four months and were engaged for four months, and I put like 30,000 miles on my truck in those months. So it's what you do when you're in love. You drive your trucks into the ground. So... um, but anyways, so we, I, I would go down there and visit, and I really enjoyed going to this church. And um, so one Sunday, we're there, and Francis Chan, he preaches this message. I'll never forget. It was, very, it was very gripping, and the Lord did a lot with me on this Sunday. But he walks up. Who, everybody know who Francis Chan is? Yeah, most of you, okay. So uh, he walks up on, he's sitting like where Pastor Glenn is, and, oh, well, let's welcome Francis. And he comes up, and he walks up, and he turns around, and he has two balloons under his shirt that look like breasts, okay? There's like 600 people in the church. So everybody's laughing and crying and confused, and I'm like, what's happening? You know, it's like it's not, you know, and he just kind of sits there for a minute, and he's teaching on spiritual milk is his point, okay? And so... Uh, so after about 30 seconds, he takes them out, and, you know, okay, because who could focus? And um, But I guess when you're Francis Chan, you can get away with stuff like that. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that. Um, but, yeah, come back next Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, he goes on, and he preaches a great word. After the service, this is what happened. Kaylee and I are sitting somewhere over here, I remember. After the service, he says, hey, if anybody wants prayer... If you could just come over here. Our prayer teams are right here. And if anyone wants to get baptized, if you could just come and talk to one of our elders right over here. And uh, I was like, hmm. Never heard that one. You know, I was like, if anyone wants to get baptized, this can't be the first time that I'm like mulling these things over. The worship team comes up. And Francis baptized four people that morning. And uh, in their church clothes. Because... They didn't come to church planning to get baptized. I did not have a grid for that. My paradigm, my theology said that you have to meet with the pastor weeks before you get baptized. You have to fill out a form. You have to get... I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. If I'm lying, I'm crying. I haven't shed a tear. You have to... You have to um, fill out the form. Oh, you have to get baptized in a church. You have to get baptized by the pastor. Um, and it is most definitely not a spontaneous decision. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm looking at all that, and I see it happen, and I go and I, and, I, and I crush Kaylee's childlike faith in the car. I tell her, this is wrong, this, you know... He doesn't even know who he baptized. How could he possibly know that that they were ready or that they really believed in Jesus? What if he baptized somebody that didn't really believe in Jesus? And I and I you know and she's like and she's so gracious with me. I owe her everything just for putting up with my crap through the years. But she goes, she's like, she's like, yeah, maybe maybe it wasn't the best. You know, maybe they could have done a little more. You know, she's just she's a, she's in love with me too. You know, what is she gonna say? No, you're wrong, and. Uh, and so, anyways, that kind of sits there. Well, the Lord totally convicts me later, <laughs> and uh, like like two years later, and uh, when I'm I'm learning about the things of the Spirit for the first time, and I'm I'm undoing a whole bunch of beliefs. I look back on that service, and I realize that that's actually the, like the biblical model yeah. of baptism, and not only that, but I realized that the Lord had so changed my heart that it's, it's my model now, and I, I, I realized it on the day that I got a word from the Lord, one of the first words from the Lord that I've ever gotten, you know, we're learning how to hear from God, first I didn't believe that you could get one, then I believed that you did, then I got one, and uh, it's great progression, it's very healthy, and uh, so we're in pre-service prayer, And uh, at our church, and I felt like the Lord said, set up the baptistry, which was just a trough, right? but he said baptistry. And uh, I was like, so I submitted it to my pastor, and he was like, if you can set it up, yes. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So he set it up, and uh, I forgot, you know, several people got baptized. They just gave a call. Who wants to get baptized? Come talk to an elder. Several people got baptized, and the Lord kind of, in his sarcastic voice, was like, isn't this the wrong way to do it? <laughs> you know, and you know he doesn't say it like that. he says it very nicely. It doesn't sound like me, but I was like, "Oh, wow!" Like this is, and I and I realized that in that moment, what I had, I had a religious spirit. I had actually elevated tradition. So the way that I was brought up, seeing water baptism happen, was the way that it happened, and anything short of that was not just different, but it was sin. And I'm telling you, that was my belief. I believed that Francis Chan was sinning when he baptized those guys that morning. I was a believer. I loved Jesus. I was very zealous, just like the Pharisees. And I had held my tradition so high that it actually, it actually I didn't even have room to look at what the Bible said. I, didn't even room, I had no room for that. I only had room for my tradition and it's so easy, it's so easy to grab a hold of something and say, well, this is the way I've always seen it done, this is the way I'm comfortable with, it. this is the way I've seen it work, this is the way I've seen it, because it worked. Real people who really believed in Jesus got baptized after meeting with the pastor, filling out the form, going up into the thing, wearing the little robe, and going underwater. It was legitimate. They were, it was good baptisms, right? They counted, okay? But, but I had held this tradition that said that that was the only way it could have been done. And that was a religious spirit that was at work to where I actually identified the work of the Holy Spirit as sin. And that's how dangerous it can be. Rachel, you guys can get ready. A few other fruits we won't go over today, um, but that you might hear from me um, in the future about, and uh, by one means or another. Finding fault, uh, resistance to correction, uh, fear of man, jealousy, envy, pride. Pride is the biggest one. Uh, you know, if you hear me talk about it, I talk about it's the actually the underlying uh, cause of, or I believe the root of all sin in, in pride. And um, so, yeah, there's, there's several ways that this spirit can manifest itself, and we don't need to be embracing uh, any, anything that is up against us as we advance the kingdom of God. We don't need to be helping the kingdom of darkness by any means. Um, so I think this is a way that we can really, um, by identifying these things in the way that I'm about to explain to you how to get free from them, uh, we we will make it to where we can embrace and steward revival. We can... Uh, hunger after these anchors of revival that pastor glenn's presented to us we can counterpunch with effectiveness okay you'll start to notice that as more religious spirit is purged from your life more religious mindset is purged from your life you'll see the right hook coming and you'll duck it and come back with an uppercut and so you'll actually hit twice pop pop right so that's the best is when you hit and the counterpunch is coming you actually dodge it and then hit again and then you dodge another one you hit again then you just start beating up on the devil instead Yeah, that's a good thing. All right. So the way to get rid of the religious spirit, super simple. There's not 12 steps. There's really one. His name is Jesus. I broke it down into three things that are a little more applicable for us today. Um, But the first thing is humility, okay? Admit you're influenced by a religious spirit. I'm not going to talk today about where the religious spirit is inside you, next to you, upon you, around you. It doesn't matter if you're influenced. I mean, it doesn't matter for this point. If you're influenced by the religious spirit, the first thing to do is to stop saying, no, that can't happen to me because that's probably the religious spirit talking. Um, Admit you're influenced by it. You have to identify a lie to effectively replace it with a truth. you to be able to point to something and say, that's a lie in order to replace it with something that's not a lie. You have authority. This is the second thing. Authority to repent, authority to confess sin, and then tell authority to tell the spirit to leave. It's gotta bow. It's gotta bow to the name of Jesus and you're wearing a badge, you've been deputized by Jesus. You're like, you're a deputy Jesus, he lives in you. Tell the spirit to leave. Confess, Lord, I've been believing a lie. Lord, I've exercised lack of mercy. Lord, I've held on to this tradition higher than your word. I've elevated it to a place of, of worship or idolatry. And I'm repenting. I'm turning from it. I'm changing my mind. And I'm saying any enemy that comes against the word of the Lord, any enemy that's been masquerading itself as, as the Holy Spirit, I tell you to leave in the name of Jesus. And I embrace only the truth of the Holy Spirit. Take that authority that you have as a son and a daughter. And the third thing is to hunger. Hunger. Hunger after those anchors of revival. Remember, Pastor Glenn said last week that these anchors of, of family and evangelism and gazing on the beauty of, the, of God and the word, these things don't just happen. We have to hunger for them. They don't just come because we're alive or have a pulse or a believer. We have to hunger for them. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Will be filled. Pride will tell you that you're right when you're wrong. It'll make you offended when you should repent. It'll tell you to be bitter and hold a grudge when you should forgive. It makes a lot of room for the religious spirit to come in and work. Vomit out your pride. Don't swallow it. Religious spirits are hindrances to revival. And I thank God that nothing is too big for him to handle. He doesn't get intimidated by the size of a demon because they're all puny to him. I do want to do, although God is bigger than all of this, I want to do all of my part, and I want you to do your part as a church to effectively, to effectively prepare for it, Stuart Revival, and that includes getting rid of any influence, any spiritual influence that's not the Holy Spirit. It's not just the spirit of religion, but any influence that's not the Holy Spirit we don't need in our life is just gonna be a hindrance. If you have any any questions or I could you know I could talk about this topic for years and I will I'll continue to talk about it but um, it's because it's been one that's been so influential in my own life I've been set free from so much having to do with a spirit of religion and I realize that I mean and I'm not saying you know I've arrived catch up with me that's not it at all we're all in process I'm still in process the Lord still shows me things which I ask him to. Still, Lord, show me where I've let pride in. Show me where I've let uh, religious mindset or religious thinking in or where I've elevated what I think is right and what I think is good over submitting to what you say is right and what you say is good. Okay, show me these things because we need constant adjustment. But as we go through, if we start to see some of these things manifest in our life, if it, somebody comes to us and brings a correction and we're like, who are you? I'm you No, know, and we come back with this, this instant resistance. That's a... That's a tell. You know, that he's he's reared his head, right? He he kind of showed his hand the enemy, and you go, why did I react like that? Oftentimes it's because of a religious spirit that's had influence. Okay? If you find yourself, if you find yourself trying to pick things apart in church, Sunday school, worship, home, home groups, if you're always like, if you're always trying to find something wrong with something. If it's like, yeah, the songs are good, but there was a typo on that slide. Yeah, that you know, if yeah, this was this, but that was. Eh, eh. If there's always a but, right? Like, yeah, but, yeah, but, fault finding, religious spirit. If you have this negative sort of complaining, everything's just kind of like, uh, uh, that's a check. Check your spirit. Okay, it's not. J- it can, I'm saying that the root could be deeper than just a hey, I'm having a bad day, and I didn't like this and that that took place. If it's a habitual thing, look deeper, and then do these three things. Humble yourself, use your authority, and hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will get free from it. The Bible promises it. I'm promising you as one who's been freed and continually being freed from this by the blood of Jesus. Amen. All right, would you stand? as we wrap up 2020 i prayed in pre-service prayer this morning that we would not just not just finish well but but that we would not look at the end of this year as like a oh thank god we're getting out of this year because all that does is rob god from all the good that he's done Amen. all it does is 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 we forget we forget all the testimonies that we have in 2020. All the things we've seen people healed, we've seen people saved, baptized, delivered. We've seen people, I mean, it's about God and people, right? There's a lot of peripheral in our world, but it's gets God and people. Okay? And so when we when we get to when we get to participate in the kingdom and see people's lives change, those are good things. And that happened a lot this year. There was a lot of hard stuff this year. Guess what? There was hard stuff in 2019. There'll be hard stuff in 2021. Okay? And if we can't handle the pressure of 2020, you may not be able to handle the pressure of 2021 or 22 or 23 or 24 because it's not like it's not like things are getting easier. Okay? So let's let's give thanks. Not for the bad. You don't have to thank God for the bad. But you have to thank him for what he's done in the midst of the bad. We thank him for what he's done in spite of the bad. We thank him for what he's done as there's been so much up against him. We see the evil, just the, the nasty rhetoric that's up against the Lord. It's going directly at him. I love There's a, there's a prophetic word written down on this t- black table over here that you should pick up. It's from Dutch Sheets Ministry. It's, it's a word given by Kent Christmas uh, like a week ago. And it's like... I mean, you read it and you're like, God is good and he's mad. You know, you know it's like in a good way, right? He's mad at evil. Like, like God is so fed up with evil. Like, I, and I love that. He should be because it's evil, right? You should be fed up with evil, right? And I just, I love it because I love that the Lord hasn't looked at 2020 as a mistake. The Lord hasn't been like, oh, shoot, we missed it. Or, oh, I didn't see that coming. The Lord's like, Stay steady. So much of the church has folded under the pressure. Not, not. I'm not saying this church. So much. So many believers have folded under the pressure of 2020. Are you kidding me? A virus and political unrest is enough to uproot the church of Jesus Christ. One virus. One. I mean, it's like. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that it hasn't been a difficult year. We have to see it from God's perspective. God has not been shaken, and he's still on his throne. And you are still the church of Jesus Christ with the same power you had on December 31st, 2019. January 1st didn't change anything. As a matter of fact, if you continue to walk with him and grow with him, I would say that you're not stepping into to something that is more power. I mean, he's not ha- he doesn't have more power, but you may have a greater revelation of the power that is upon you. And it can move in, in great, with greater authority and greater effectiveness. So many of you, to say 2020 was a waste would be an insult to you personally. It's like, 2020 was a breakthrough year for me. Amen. Right? Yeah. 2020 is a year that's gonna be a marker in my life forever. Yeah, I'm just looking around the room. I see markers right now. I mean, I see that God has done so much work in 2020 in this room. So Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this year. I thank you that justice is on your heart. I thank you that you love mercy and that you've exercised mercy over us, Father, as we've cried out and said, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not taking a stand sooner. Forgive us for not, Lord, for not crying out for the salvation of our nation, for not evangelizing to the degree that we could have. Father, forgive us for these things, but Lord, thank you, that you're still God, you still love us, and I thank you, Lord, that you will no longer stand for corruption, for evil, and for obstinance to the kingdom of God, that you're you're coming against those who have come against you hard. And I thank you, Lord, that it won't be done by the power of man. I thank you, Lord, that it won't be done by the power of, of even the Supreme Court. It'll be done by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, we partner with you right now and say yes to everything that's in your heart, We say yes to justice over the United States of America. We say we are one nation under God, one nation under Yahweh. Father, I thank you, God, for unity in the spirit among churches. I thank you for revival that's being poured out. I thank thank you, Lord, that there will be many who will be saved in these coming days, weeks, and months. I thank you, Lord, that we will take on the cloak of evangelists. We will wear it and say we're evangelists, and we will go out. I thank you, Lord, that we will share the gospel. I thank you, Lord, we will baptize, we'll find water and just baptize people in the clothes they're wearing. Father, I thank you, Lord, that when we see someone who's oppressed, we will set them free with deliverance. Father God, that when we see someone who is sick, we will lay hands on them and see them get well. I thank you, Lord, that you said, you said, we didn't make it up, you said, greater things than these that you do because I'm going to go to the Father. Anyone who believes in Jesus, same things that Jesus did, you will do. Thank you, Lord. You said it. So we believe it. Father, I thank you for 2021, the year that's coming. I thank you because it's always the year of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that, that 2020 wasn't a mistake for you. And Lord, that you didn't have evil, corruption, confusion, sickness on your mind. You had salvation, redemption, justice, mercy, grace, love. You are taking care of your church. Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit in great measure, even among us right now, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit. We need more of what what you have for us, God. We want to be effective in the kingdom of God. Father, I speak against stagnant, lukewarm, complacent Christianity in the Church of Jesus Christ. Father, draw lines in the sand and shove your children on the correct side of it. Father, I don't we need we need more help. We don't need weak brothers and sisters. We need strong church. We need people that can withstand pressure. We need people that will when squeezed Righteousness comes out when squeezed, love comes out. When squeezed, mercy comes out. That we don't run away from adversity. We don't embrace fear. We don't listen to ridiculous rhetoric from the media. We don't listen to lies that come through culture and social media. That we open up the word of God and say, What are you saying, God? What are you saying, God? This is what the world's saying. I don't what what are you saying? If the world happens to say the same thing that you're saying, then amen, I'll say it too. But I listen to you. Father, I say right now in faith, we will not be shaken by what we see. We will embrace what we believe by faith what you've said to be true. Give us courage, Lord. Give us courage, especially in the next couple weeks as we finish out this year, as we have Christmas, we celebrate with family. There's, there's opportunity There's opportunity to embrace weakness. There's opportunity for sin. There's opportunity in greater ways for frustration and for backing down, for coming complacent, for getting this, oh, this kind of holiday lull like you ate too much turkey and it's this tryptophan hangover in the spirit. And Lord, that we would not go there. But Lord, that we would use this time to, to get closer to the fire so that we ourselves can get hotter and burn hotter. I thank you, Lord, that you, as we sang earlier, that you came to make your blessing known far as the curse is found. So we look around us and we see weeds and we see toil and we see brokenness and we see sickness and we say we are ministers of reconciliation and blessing to a lost, dying, and cursed world. I bless each one of you in the sound of my voice with health and long life. I bless each one of you that can hear me right now with healthy interaction with family around the holidays. I bless each one of you with patience. I bless each one of you with great sleep and rest. And I bless each one of you with an unquenchable thirst and desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness and for the more of God for every gift, every anointing, every manifestation of his spirit, for every single thing that is in his heart to pour out among you, I bless you and say it's yours. Hunger after it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you guys want prayer for anything at all or if you're new and would like to say hi, just come up to the front, Pastor Glenn, myself, maybe a couple others will be up here ready to pray with you. And the worship team's gonna close us out with another song. Uh, did you have anything before I close? It's a thought on this, this message, and this whole thing of being released from this religious spirit—every revival has ended in a lot, in many times, because of religious spirits coming in. Like you can't, you can't have long hair and come get be a part of this, or that, you know those kinds of things. So this end time revival, this is important for us. So I just, I just pray that. Yes. Just I thank you, Lord, for delivering us, delivering the church here and abroad throughout the world from that that which would hinder the river of revival from flowing. In Jesus' name, behold, you're doing a new thing, and we thank you for it.